Patrick Kane in the slot, works it up to the high point of it, throws one on net, and scores! Patrick Kane from the high slot, a wrister that goes over Delia's shoulder, and after Vancouver has all the pressure in this first period, it's 1-0 Hawks. Blackhawks highlights courtesy of WGN Radio and courtesy of Joe Brand, who coincidentally, although no, not coincidentally at all, it's 100% on purpose, uh, is our guest tonight on And We're Back. I say tonight, but Joe, it's it's 5.30 on Monday afternoon, evening, whatever you call 5.30, uh, on a Blackhawks game day, a late night for you, uh, pre and post uh, on Blackhawks Radio. How are you, my man? Doing okay. Uh, it's one of those days where I can get my first coffee around eleven thirty or twelve. <laughs> yeah. That's quite all right. You're you're uh, you're delay cir- all the caffeine intake. Yeah, your your circadian rhythm shifts a little bit for these West Coast uh, late night games. As a producer, when I was uh, producing Hawks games uh, at GN, I used to love the late games because uh, I didn't have a full time job to wake up for in the morning at that time. And it was great because I could zoom out of the city at midnight or whatever it was when post-game wrapped up and whatever else I had to do rather than either sit in traffic on the way home or uh, catch a train uh, out to the burbs. So I used to love the late games because, you know, fight the traffic going in, fine. But once you're once you're there and, and can get out of the city at midnight, piece of cake. So I, I, I lived for those late night games. Well, I was even going to say, you know, coming in, it, you're, it's still reverse commute, so it's not horrible. I, I remember, and I mean, I Joe, there's do, never a good time to be on I-90. <laughs> that's true, that's true. But, yeah, I just, I, I, I do enjoy these late-night games for the effort of just uh, slowly grabbing something to eat, mosey on into the station, and then having my time to prepare for uh, the pregame. So, can't complain. It's a late night, but can't complain. Hawks and Ducks tonight in Anaheim, and, and, the Hawks making plenty of news recently. Uh, before we dive in, though, uh, you had the the call of the Kane goal there. Um, it had to be a thrill for you to fill in for a handful of games for for John Weideman. It really was. Um, this is what I want to do. I, I want to do play-by-play. I've been wanting to do that since 10 years old. It, it started as a dream for baseball, and believe me, it still is. But, uh, you know, getting to do some NHL games is uh, quite a treat in itself as well. I mean, growing up being a Hawks fan and uh, getting to do six and a half games, filling in for the great John Weideman is something I never really could have dreamed of. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just I, I lucked out with a lot of great games. That's that's half the battle, too. But uh, the first full game I did against Arizona, 2 nothing win. After that, uh, Max Domi, overtime game winner. Lucas Reichel scored his first goal. Um, but just getting to say things like Hawks win on WGN radio and call Lucas Reichel's first goal. And then as you just played the Patrick Kane goal, it's it's really been a dream come true. I got to do a Sox game last year. That was an absolute thrill. Um, nothing beats play-by-play, though. It's, it's just what it is. You, you feel part of the game. I absolutely love being the bridge from the game to the listener, um, hopefully one day to the viewer. You know, it's just it's a whole other element in this business, and uh, just fortunate enough that the Hawks and WGN Radio all had enough confidence in me to fill in. We could talk broadcasting all day, but like I said, plenty of news on and off the ice for the Hawks. They come into this game hot, right, against the Anaheim Ducks, but... A big trade today, an impending trade of number 88. So uh, let's talk about what this trade deadline ha- is going to mean for the Hawks. You know, uh, we've been saying on this podcast all all season, really, that, you know, the, the on-ice product isn't the main storyline this season for the Hawks, at least, you know, for the casual fan 
who pays attention when the Hawks are good, right? Uh, the question all year has been, what are they going to do with Kane? What are they going to do with Taves? Now, we got our answer with Jonathan Taves, where he's dealing with some long COVID symptoms. They're not going to move him. You know, hopefully he can get healthy sooner rather than later, uh, and we'll see what happens down the line. But, you know, with Patrick Kane, um, seemingly, at least over the weekend, it seemed like a trade was imminent. Now, I, I haven't seen much today in the way of uh, Patrick Kane rumors, uh, partly because the Blackhawks have been busy otherwise. But um, what's the latest you've heard on Patrick Kane? I know he's not with the team tonight. Yeah, it's kind of more the same with the Kane situation right now. As you mentioned, we're recording on this Monday afternoon. Um, this is full speculation on my part, but the Rangers, you know, they had Ryan Lindgren hit a rough injury a couple of days ago. Mika Zibanejad um, went down yesterday against the LA Kings. And the main holdup for the Rangers right now is creating the cap space to acquire Patrick Kane. As far as we know, there hasn't, or at least what the team has said, there hasn't been that distinct conversation of Patrick Kane telling Kyle Davidson, I want to be a New York Ranger. The speculation has been out there. Uh, everyone's inclined to make whatever decisions or opinions that they want on the situation. But if I'm speculating, it looks like the Rangers might want to be waiting to see how they can acquire Patrick Kane in the easiest way possible. If they're able to move somebody on LTIR, then it kind of creates a easier path to bring Patrick Kane on their payroll. Um, otherwise, both teams are going to have to get creative. Maybe a third team gets involved. Obviously, the Blackhawks would be retaining some of that salary, but I I'm imagining based on the rumors that are out there and the speculation that's out there, as this is coming down to how is it going to be possible for the Rangers to acquire Patrick Kane. Now, with that being said, that's under the assumption that Patrick Kane wants to be a Ranger. Sure. We haven't got, gotten that definitive answer just yet. But again, he's not with the team. He's in Chicago. He's gained the right of making this decision all on his own or in terms of he gets the final say of it. That's why he's got the no trade movement clause. Um, but based on everything that we know, if Patrick Kane wants to be a Ranger, it makes the most sense for all parties involved to get this deal done. It makes sense for the Rangers to get better. It makes sense for the Blackhawks to gain an asset from Patrick Kane. Again, if he wants to be a New York Ranger, and if Kane wants to be a New York Ranger, then it makes the most sense for him to be moved over to the New York Rangers. So I'm guessing against pure speculation right now, the holdup is tinkering around with the salary cap in order to make it the smoothest uh, process possible to being, bring Patrick Kane over there. But in the meantime, Kyle Davidson's been very busy as well. Uh, making a couple yeah. moves as recently as today. Yeah, Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty headed to um, – oh, it's escaping me at the moment. I literally just looked uh, it up. Toronto, yes, thank you. Heading uh, heading north of the border to Toronto uh, for a multitude of draft picks. Now, I, I believe that uh, one of those first-round picks is protected, uh, top 10 protected, but seems the, the, the theme here for Kyle Davidson has been just stockpile, stockpile, stockpile draft picks. It's, is that the, the sense you're getting there from the from the Hawks GM? That's what I would think. The main objective for this trade is to acquire more draft picks. And I, I put this out on Twitter, and I know people might jump to different conclusions, but it does kind of remind me of the Brandon Hagel trade because it's based around the upcoming draft picks. Now, the Hawks acquire a 2025 first-round draft pick. Like you mentioned, it's top 10 protected. But I would be willing to bet that Toronto Maple Leafs are going to stay pretty competitive for the next couple of years. So I'd imagine the Hawks are 
going to be able to hang on to that second draft, uh, second first round draft pick of 2025. No problem whatsoever. They also get a second round for the following year. They pick up a couple of pieces. One guy has been up and down between the NHL and the AHL and Tyler Anderson. The other guy's going straight to Rockford, but you never know what a scene change can do for any player involved. We saw that happen with Sam Lafferty, the guy who coincidentally has moved to Toronto. But it reminds me of the Brandon Hagel trade because, yes, the trade was motivated by the draft picks, but Taylor Radish has turned out to be a pretty good piece on this Blackhawks team and one that could even maybe be factored in on the future success of this squad. So who knows what Anderson's going to turn out to be on this Blackhawks roster. But again, you lose a great player in Lafferty. Believe me, I'm the biggest Sam Lafferty fan out there. You lose a great player in Jake McCabe where, when healthy, one of the top defensemen in the league. And I think a lot of teams understand that but the outlier has been his health. Luckily, he's been, for the most part, healthy this year. It has clearly showed what a great guy in that Blackhawks dressing room. I know he loves living in Chicago. A big reason why he came over here to the Hawks is because he lives here in the offseason. His wife is from here, so he's really enjoyed his time. But he wants to win a Stanley Cup. So, again, hopefully another scenario which works out for both parties involved. But, uh, I don't know, this trade has been getting a lot of backlash for Kyle Davidson not receiving enough on it. But, I really think it's pretty even, if not in favor of the Hawks. I mean, you got to move these guys. This right. is the first year of a rebuild. We knew things were going to get ugly towards the end of the year with all the pieces that are moved. So why not generate some assets from it? So I, and the other thing is you're not going to, no one's going to know the quote unquote winner of any of these trades until a few years from the down from the line. Right. This is all going to be based on Kyle Davidson and the entire front office, how good they are at drafting and how good they are at developing players. We won't know the answers to the end of these trades until a few years from now when some of these guys pan out. I know the, the Hawks have been on the road a lot this month, Joe, but um, you know when they have been at the United Center, have you gotten a sense of just the overall vibe with the guys in the room, knowing the situation that they're in, a rebuilding team, though they've won five in a row, yet they know that these trades are coming? Like That's got to be really awkward, I would think. You would think, but I'm really not sensing that from this team. And I think Troy Murray agrees. I think a lot of people around the team agree. Luke Richardson has just developed such a great culture with this squad, knowing that it's the first year of a rebuild, knowing that they're going to have a tall task each and every night. But he continues to get these guys very, very motivated each and every game. Of course, they've had their rough spells. Of course, they've had their losing streaks. But now they're on a season-high five-game winning streak with all this Patrick Kane drama going on. They didn't have Kane or Sam Lafferty in the last game, and they still took down a very good team. I, I take that back. Not in the San Jose Sharks, but a few nights before that in the Dallas Stars. Yep. I mean, these are good teams that the Hawks are beating, and these are good games that they are playing in. So I, I really think a lot of these guys are just enjoying the environment. Jack Johnson, who just got traded back to Colorado, mm -hmm. Uh, was raving about Chicago and Kyle Davidson. Max Domi continues to pour on the same sentiments. And I mean, Domi's a guy that came over this year who immediately when he was signed, everyone was speculated that thinking he was going to be a, an easy trade bait, which he very may well still be, but he's really enjoying his time right now. He's totally embracing what's going on. And I think the other part of it is all these guys understood that this was going to be the case heading in. No one was, I mean, yeah, sure, maybe they're being quoted at the beginning of the year because they have to say these things about being a Stanley Cup team, but I really don't think deep down they had 
Stanley Cup aspirations. Um, so maybe that plays a part in it. Understanding that this is going to be a long year, might as well have as much fun as we possibly can with it. And so far, I think they've been doing just that. Obviously, we still got a few days left until the deadline hits. Um, selfishly, because I have tickets to a game in late March, you know, I'm kind of hoping Patrick Kane doesn't move and I get to see number 88 on the ice uh, when I go to the United Center. But um, let's, just, let's assume he is traded somewhere, whether it's New York or, or somewhere else. Um, we know that Connor Bedard is the name that's been thrown around all season for teams, you know, quote unquote, tanking. Uh, to get that number one overall draft pick. Um, do you sense that the Hawks are, you know, nobody's going to ever come out and say that they're tanking, but are they? Well, I mean, they're rebuilding, right? <laughs> right. They're ready to work. That That's that's the terminology that's been thrown out there. Um, look, there's values and losses right now. It's just the case. Um, the Hawks have two first-round picks for this upcoming draft. That is now the case for the next three years. So there is going to be value and losses for the next three years. I know Blackhawks fans don't love to hear that, but that's why Kyle Davidson is going in this direction. Yes, there's a Connor Bedard sweepstakes out there right now. Yes, the Blackhawks would love to land that number one overall pick for this upcoming draft. But what Davidson is doing right now, or what at least it seems to be he's doing, is trying to stockpile as many draft picks as possible to create sustained success in this organization. They don't want to be just a one and done. One guy isn't going to turn around the entire franchise. They, right. It can definitely help. Like yeah. we saw with two guys with Taves and Kane doing it, but they understand that one guy isn't going to create a dynasty. And yeah, you got to crawl before you walk. Sure, the Hawks need to do a lot more things before we start talking about a dynasty. But I think it's important to stockpile more and more draft picks. I mean, the Athletic just ranked the Hawks with the fifth best farm system in the NHL. I mean, they were down towards the basement last year. That's the kind of turnaround that Kyle Davidson has already had on this team. They went into last year's draft with no first-round picks. They came out with three. Now, yes, that cost them Kirby Doc, Alex DeBrinkett. I'd be willing to argue losing Doc is fine. The DeBrinkett argument, I see both sides. I understand why fans might want more. But Kevin Korshinsky, the guy that the Hawks drafted in the place of acquiring the Alex DeBrinkett draft pick, uh, is really turning a lot of heads. And played with Connor Bedard in the World Juniors, lighting it up in the Western Hockey League. So, uh, again, another situation where we're not going to have an answer on whether or not the Hawks, quote-unquote, won a trade or not until a few years down from the line. Um, but, yes, there's value in losses right now. <laughs> and I say it a lot in the postgame show, there's values in wins, too, because, you know, you can't win with this fan base right now. <laughs> we try to justify the losing, which is understood. Fans get frustrated. And then when they win a few games, everyone's being sarcastic and saying, oh, what, doesn't this screw up our chances for Connor Bedard? <laughs> it's still important to win some of these games to continue to motivate this team, like we were talking about earlier, to stay motivated for an entire year long. And they got to play for something, right? The players aren't tanking. The coaches aren't tanking. Right. They want to go out there and win. So they need to stay motivated each and every day. And again, I think Luke Richardson and his entire coaching staff has done a good job of keeping that the norm. Yeah, and I've always wondered what that mindset has to be like when you show up for camp in September or whatever sport you're playing and um, you you know that you're just not going to have a good year, right? But you, you're going to try, right? Everything's on film. You're Whether you're auditioning for a new job next season or whatever it is, right? You're, you're a professional. You got to do a job. Um, yes, losses in the long run are better for the franchise, but 
you know, you still got your pride. And, you know, it, like you said, the, it, with, what Luke Richardson's done, instilling a culture, um, you know, w- w- what you said about it kind of reminds me of this Bears season that, not to jump ship here, but, um, you know, Matt Eberflus, I thought, especially early in the season, created a culture that guys bought into. And if you get that buy-in from your leader, uh, I think that goes a long way. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what they're trying to start, right? The foundation. And who knows how many of the players on the Hawks team right now are going to be on the next, next successful Blackhawks team. Sure. But odds are Luke Richardson's going to be here, right? So if he's able to create this type of environment in a team that's rebuilding, that might end towards the bottom, if not the very bottom of the NHL standings, then I feel like you're in pretty good standing once you get a team that is ready to be competitive with a handful of superstars on it. What's uh, what's this game look like tonight, now that we've got a couple hours at least for this to be live before the puck drops? Yeah, right. Well, it's uh, it's definitely going to be a, a new-look Blackhawks team. I, I don't know if you saw, but I, on Twitter I mentioned that uh, against the San Jose Sharks, first time in 19 years that the Hawks didn't have a Patrick Kane, a Jonathan Taves, Brent Seabrook, or Duncan Keith on their team. So I was in they high got school, that John. one out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, I, I hardly knew what hockey was at that point. So uh, I'm, I'm really showing my age and my uh, Blackhawks connections at that point, too. But, um, yeah, it was a long time ago, right? So this this is not your grandfather's. This isn't your father's Blackhawks anymore. Uh, it's a new-look team. But I don't know. I mean, you, you really can't count them out of any game. Now, if they, were, if they were playing the Toronto Maple Leafs tonight or the Boston Bruins, maybe I – you know, wouldn't have a ton of faith in them, but they're playing the Anaheim Ducks. It's a team that they can be competitive with all season long with the direction that the Ducks are in this year. So you, know, you never know with this team. They, they continue to stay motivated. Um, they, they come out firing when they can. And when they play a full 60 minutes, they have shown they can beat anyone. It's not going to happen every night. I'm not going to bet the mortgage on them every night, but they the ingenuity that this team has shown has really been impressive. What about uh, what about the goaltending? This this kid that's come up and he's I don't know if he's got his Blackhawks helmet yet. Uh, he's still rocking his IceHogs helmet. But uh, what's he won? Four out of five stars. Uh, Stauber's his name, right? Yeah, Jackson Stauber, uh, second generation goaltender. They actually just uh, sent him back down to Rockford yesterday ah, okay. because Alex Stalock had been activated. But uh, it it's been such a merry go round. But ironically, it's been the most consistent aspect of the Blackhawks season. Peter Mrazek, Alex Stalock, Arvid Soderbloom, Jackson Stauber, who has ever been in between the pipes for the Hawks this year, has performed well. Again, not every game, but for the most part, it's been the most reliable aspect uh, for the Blackhawks' entire season. So stick tap to uh, Jimmy Waite for getting these guys ready each and every day. And it's just crazy the way it's all worked out because we were not expecting to see Arvid Soderbloom as much as we have this year. You know, he got a lot of playing time last season in the NHL. This season was for him to just gain more confidence, more experience in the AHL with Rockford. Then injuries happen. So Arvid Soderblom's up. And then Soderblom goes down. And they got to go deeper into the goalie depth bag. And they would have pulled up Jackson Stauber. But he actually had a crazy uh, injury in Rockford where a puck went through his mask, hit him in the eye. Oh, so they had to pull up another kid, Dylan Wells. Great story for him. Sorry, I'm not in a back cave, I swear. Anyway, great story for Dylan Wells. Um, He gets a a two-way contract, makes a little extra dough, gets his NHL debut in Winnipeg, does a pretty good job, gives up one goal in the third period. 
time passes, Soderblom goes down, Stauber gets his chance to shine, right? And he comes out and supplies the Hawks with five fantastic games. Real confident dude, despite his youth and his inexperience with the NHL. I'm sure he gets a lot of that from his dad, but uh, just doesn't overthink things. And he's been an absolute joy to watch. And again, it's just, it's been cool. No matter who has been in between the pipes, has stood up and done a fabulous job. And uh, a lot of people have been praising both Peter Mrazek and Alex Stalock, but especially Stalock's presence in the locker room. Seems like he's a real team-friendly player, making a lot of friends instantly and keeping things lighthearted. I know he had some concussion issues this year and even before that, even some scarier health issues with his heart before that. So it's great to see him back. It looks like he will start against Arizona on Tuesday night. Good. Uh, the captain, uh, we know, has been out for a while now and with a non-hockey illness. And, uh, you know, he came out and said, you know, he's dealing with some long COVID stuff. Um, I thought I had seen recently that he's been at least skating. Um, do you know any prognosis on, on Jonathan's return to the ice? His last game was January 28th. Then the All-Star break hit. So he got a breather, but they wanted to play it cool, not rush him back. Um, was basically calling it the flu, but it wasn't COVID, um, but never definitively said the flu either. He was on the ice about a week before he made his announcement that he's going to take a step back to to focus on his health. And listen, it's been a rough couple of years for Jonathan Taves. So mm-hmm. he's he's putting his health first and foremost. There's also been the speculation of the possibility of a trade all year long. I'm wondering if that played a factor into making this decision as well. That way, it doesn't overcomplicate things with, are the Hawks able to move him? Does he want to be moved? You know, now it's just, is he healthy enough to play? And right now, the answer is no. So good to see Jonathan Taves putting his health first and foremost because of what he means to this city and this organization. When he comes back, I'm not sure anyone knows right now. Um, I'm not ready to rule him out for the entire season because, again, there were there were those conversations. There was that talk about him coming back when dealing with these illnesses and injuries, um, but it was never definitive that, okay, he's going to be done. So sure. if I were a betting man, I imagine he comes back at some point this season, but uh, at least we do get the clarity also that contractually he's going to finish this year with the Chicago Blackhawks. Yep. All right, well, let's, uh, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit before we hit the record button that this is a great time of year on the sports calendar. Um, we're past football, which means we got the home stretches for, for basketball, for hockey, college basketball, and, of course, spring training, which I know is your other, your other love. Um, and it, there's been a lot of talk, Joe, over this first weekend of games uh, and we, we knew it would come up because we've known these rule changes are coming. But, um, you know, as far as the, the rule changes that have been implemented now, we've got the pitch clock, we've got disengagement rules, we've got bigger bases, we've got no shift. Um, of all the uh, rule changes, and these are pretty significant rule changes, um, you know, the, the most significant rule changes I can think of in my baseball consciousness, I, I guess you'd say, um, other than bringing the DH to the NL. But um, what do you think is going to have the biggest impact on this 2023 season of, of these rules changes? It's got to be the pitch clock, right? I, I mean, I think that that right away changes the dynamic of a baseball game because the length of it 
previously had always been dictated by the pace of the pitcher. Now it's dictated by a clock. And I know that goes against what baseball purists <laughs> want. Yep. But if you're a true baseball purist, then you want baseball in its purest form, which is guys aren't taking two minutes to throw the next pitch, <laughs> right? Like, I, I don't know how to dwindle it down any more than that. I understand it's a lot of changes and a lot to do in one year. Um, I'm not expecting everyone to buy in on it right away. Personally, I like it because I do believe that shortening the pace of this game will attract more people. Uh, I don't think it's a attention span thing that people are quick to jump to about us, the millennials, not being able to pay attention for so long. I love baseball. It was my first love. I still call games in the summer. Baseball games do not need to be four hours long. They right. just don't. And especially <laughs> when there's only 11 to 13 minutes of action. Right. Um, the, the other rule change that I made a complete 180 on, and this is a couple of years ago, is the banning of the shift. I, I did not like it whatsoever at first. And then someone just kind of explained it a little bit more to me that, you know, the game is so much slower because walks are being valued so much. When guys are in the minors, when they're going up through the organization, they're being told, stay patient, wait for your pitch, wait for something to drive. And why is that? Because they don't want weak contact. And because home runs and doubles and extra base hits make more money. You yep. get bigger contracts. You can do more damage with those pitches. That's all great. But you're valuing a walk more than a single these days because it does two things. It gets you on base, and it makes the pitcher throw at least four pitches. Now that stretches out the game. The batter's going to take longer. He's going to be more patient. That means the pitcher is going to try to control the pace of the game more. They're going to throw more pitches. All of a sudden, starting pitchers are getting out of the game earlier, creating more pitching changes. The bullpen gets depleted a little bit more quickly. I truly think that banning the shift will entice hitters to swing more often because they have the ability to just put a hard swing on the ground and pull it and possibly get on base. And again, I think that is bringing baseball back to its purer form. I mean, this game has evolved and changed and adapted so much. And again, I truly think it's because of all these hitters are taught and coached to drive the ball, to elevate the ball, to try and hit a home run. I mean, right. whether or not that that's what it is, it's kind of what it comes down to, right? So I'm going to be a fan of this until it proves me otherwise. The bigger bases thing, I, I think, can definitely benefit because it, it creates less uh, collisions for possible double plays. Um, what's the other one we're looking at? Isn't isn't there one more? Uh, well, we got the pitch oh, clock, we got the bigger bases. Uh, we've throwing got... to the bases. Oh more. yeah, of course. Right. I, I hate it when a pitcher does the fake first <laughs> to third thing three times in a row. Everyone does. Yeah. So I, I am a fan of fan of these rule changes. I understand not everyone's going to love them. I and for the record, I'm a fan mm. of the runner at second base too. Now I don't know. I I know people make the joke. Well, you work in baseball, you want to get home quicker. <laughs> sure, maybe, m- maybe. But I I I think that putting the runner on second base instantly adds action to a normally dull part of the game. How many times 
Are we just waiting and waiting and waiting to see somebody get on base to get a rise out of it? I mean, Chris Bryant even said, you know, it, it instantly puts us in a different mindset. Okay, guy in second. I need to drive this guy in. You know, it's, it's a totally different mindset. And every other sport, or I should say the NFL, the NBA, the NHL, they all have different rules for post-regulation time of the game. And then those rules, not all the time, but they tend to change in the postseason. Yep. So what's the harm in doing it for baseball when you can save a few arms, draw a few more spectators, and just basically please everyone except for the fans that don't like it? Yeah, I think a lot of the these rules changes have been about combating the the three true outcome scenario that baseball has been in for the last uh, four or five years, right? It's it's out, it's walk, it's homer, right? Um, and with yeah. the banning of the shift, I, I see both sides, right? Because on one hand, you've got a guy who pulls the ball, whether it's a righty or a lefty, he may pull the ball 85% of the time. Why shouldn't I put all my defenders there? If I know he's going to hit it there, why shouldn't I put my defenders there? But then you've got, again, a three true outcome, right? You've got an out, a walk, or a homer. And because, as you said, guys are trying to elevate now, right? It's, it's a homer, it's a double and a gap. That's it, right? There's no such thing as a seeing eye single anymore in these hitters' minds because that doesn't make you money. Um, so if you, if you are able to restrict where fielders need to be, or can be, I should say, um, that is going to create more action. And bigger bases leads to more stolen base attempts. Um, in, the, in the limited time I've spent watching baseball so far, uh, I've, I have noticed more stolen base attempts. Uh, and I have noticed just a general, uh, much quicker pace to things. Um, whether that subconsciously gets guys to swing more, I don't know. But because, um, as you said, walks are still valuable. Um, I don't know. I, it, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the regular season, how strict umpires are going to be with this pitch clock. Um, because I, I think, you know, the, the time to experiment with it in the majors is now. These guys aren't used to it. Um, you know, I'm sure you've seen the Manny Machado video from over the weekend uh, of him getting called a, a called strike because he wasn't alert to the pitcher, whatever that means. Well, know. how about the what was it, the Red Sox and the Braves game ending? Oh yeah, the bases loaded, two yeah. outs, full yeah. count because the batter didn't get in. And right, time, and, hey, tough luck. <laughs> and it ended in a tie. Of course, spring training they can do that, but um, but yeah, I mean, you might have some big scenarios. I, I wonder if at some point they might say, okay. For the eighth and ninth inning, high leverage situations, you know, we can either add some time or it'll be one of those rules that gets ignored by the umpires, you know, to a point where they're going to give some leeway to, to those high leverage situations. See, I, I, I could understand that, and I, I actually like it, but I don't know how well it would work because... I mean, these rule changes are already complicated enough. I mean, <laughs> right. If you're explaining baseball to a child, it, it's pretty self-explanatory when you start. I mean, it, it, it does get complicated. Three strikes are an out, four balls are a walk. But now it's, okay, and you got 20 seconds to throw, <laughs> uh, except if there's a runner on. Right. And uh, the batter's got to be in an eight second. Well, it's not the eighth or ninth inning. You know, it, it, <laughs> it becomes a lot more complicated. And – I would imagine they don't want to implement something like that because it's not the point of the rule. The point of the rule is to speed up the pace of the game and get everyone on the same page. And I will say I'm a, I'm a little surprised that MLB decided to do this so brashly and just turn on the switch and, okay, these rules are in. 
when they didn't do it a ton in the minor leagues. I want to say they've only been doing this since 2019. Sounds about right. Yeah. Very earliest. Um, So it's not like all these minor going through the ranks, learning all of this. Um, And honestly, that's been my argument. That's been my biggest argument about universalizing the designated hitter because previously in the minor leagues, pitchers did not hit until they got to double a and even then they only did it if it was two national league teams if there was one american league team no matter where you're playing you still have the dh so these guys are learning not to hit until they get up to double a and how long are they in double a or triple a if they make it to the major league right right and then oh now you got to hit a clayton kershaw curveball <laughs> now you got to hit and roll this chapman fastball after hardly having minor league always my biggest argument of it and honestly back to the argument of well okay it's not baseball in its purest form yes that's because the game has changed i for one think it's changed for the better if you want to get rid of the dh then stop it in the minor leagues and you know make high school kids pitch and hit all the time you got you got to start from the ground up um because these pitchers just aren't being developed like they used to. I mean, it used to be, you just been athletes, right? Yep. Um, that's a whole nother argument. You know, I agree. Don't, don't <laughs> focus just on one sport, do as many as you can. I think Greg Maddox said, nobody climbs a tree anymore. Everyone just plays travel baseball. <laughs> yeah. Or something like that. It's pretty accurate. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's why I believe major league baseball felt it necessary to make these moves. I know you said you haven't dove in much yet on, um, you know, the, the, the season outlook, but I know the Cubs have a very different roster. The White Sox looking to bounce back. If you could give like a 30,000 foot view of, of which team you think might have a better season, what do you got? It's tough, right? Because I think you're initially inclined to just go with the Sox based on their past success, even though there's more lack of a success. Um, but I, I think it could be a very interesting year to see who's going to have the better record. Um, I, I like what the Cubs have done. I'm not saying that they're instantly a powerhouse or favorites to win the NL Central right. or anything like that, but they're spending money. And yeah, they're going after guys that might be past their prime, like Hosmer and Trey Mancini, but they're doing something, right? And they kind of take a flyer on Bellinger. Um, Swanson seems like a very confident dude and um, confident in the sense of, he wanted to go somewhere where he would win. I, I don't think he would have fully decided on the Cubs if he didn't have confidence that they're going to be competitive at least in the next couple of years. So I do like that move. And I think they're getting creative with their starting rotation, um, which is what you have to do in in Major League Baseball now, right? It's it's just it's so complicated to win in the playoffs because bullpens are, are probably the thing that matters most. and And maneuvering your pitching staff is what matters most. Um, for the White Sox, I think they just need to, they need to stop beating themselves. Yeah. I, I, I like Pedro Grafal. Um, you know, if, if the Sox were to hire Pedro Grafal two years ago, I think Sox fans would be super thrilled about it, but it's just, things have gone sideways so much the past couple of years. It's difficult for them to generate, uh, hope and optimism right now, but they still got a good deep team. Not, I, I know they've got hurdles. I know they've got bullpen holes of their own. Um, but they've still got a good deep team. The division isn't incrementally better. So there's a possibility of, of them still taking it. Um, but I, I do think it's going to be a fun city or a fun summer in the city of Chicago, because 
I think it could be a, a real real good fight for who has the better record this year. Did you happen to catch Wilson Contreras' comments the other day on, on the Cardinals broadcast? So I know you're a diehard Cub fan. Do you I know am. who that reminded me of? Who's that? When Ryan Terrio oh, went yes. to the Cardinals and he said, I'm finally on the right side of the rivalry. Yeah. Something along those lines. Now, granted, he ended up winning two World Series with the Cardinals and the Giants, but but that's just what it reminded me of. And honestly, if you're a Cubs fan and you're frustrated by it, I hope you were never defending Wills Contreras with all of his other outbursts and personality <laughs> shows while he was in blue pinstripes, right? I mean, that's him. It Whether that's to motivate himself or motivate his team, that's him. That's what you're going to get when you have Wills Contreras. I'm sure it's things for Cub fans. I'm not saying they shouldn't be hurt by it, but uh, it's him, right? Uh, <laughs> right. It, it is funny, but yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't get Ryan Terrio out of my head the moment <laughs> I heard that. It's just like, really? Like, is this? Is this just? Is it like when you sign with the Cardinals? Like, all right, name here, initial here. Uh, are you a former Cub? If yes, what would you like to say to Cub fans? Like, is that part <laughs> right. of the contract deal? I yeah. Uh, when and when, then when the Brewers traded for William Contreras, I was like, "What the hell happened? We have two Contreras catchers in the division, and neither are on the Cubs. This is going to be torture." Because I, th- I think William's going to have a stellar career. He's already off to a great start, and uh, I think he's gonna he's gonna do very well in Milwaukee. Well, and I mean that put the Cubs in a rough position of figuring out their catcher situation, right? So, again, had to get creative with it, and uh, you know maybe a couple guys that. I don't want to say past their prime, but, you know, bigger names a few years ago. So we'll see how it works out for them. All right. I know you got a broadcast to uh, prepare for. Have you got Krista Flores on the dials tonight? You know what? I don't know, but she's here in the studio. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll have to. Yeah. Tell her, her I say that, hi. That you gave her a shout out. <laughs> All right, Joe. Yeah. No, I, I honestly, man, I, I'm blessed. There's, there's so many, so many good engineers, so many good producers here at WGN radio. Uh, the great Paul Zerang is I don't know. I don't know many sound engineers, but he's got to be the best in the nation. I mean, everything he does. Uh, so it's just been, it's a lot of fun and I appreciate you bringing it up. It, uh, it took me a while to realize just how lucky I was to intern there and then work there. I mean, that's like top of the line radio, radio station in the country, if not the world. So um, yeah, it was, uh, I, I always called it a blessing and a curse, right? Because, you know, well, I guess, interning in Chicago was a blessing and a curse because it's market three. You're going to work with incredible talent, incredible people. Then you have to go find a job in wherever you can. And it's not Chicago. (laughs) So I know, I know it's, it's it's a tricky industry and there's no right path. And uh, yeah, man. I mean, I I remember when you were what in Wisconsin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and then you came back and then you started working here and you, you were getting on air opportunities and, that's the whole part of this is you just, you got to go where the opportunities are. And yep. I, I was lucky enough to land some jobs, moonlighting, you know, calling games, but they were all within the Chicagoland area. I mean, I still do Cougar games. I was working for UIC, uh, Loyola, Northern high schools around here. I was substitute teaching. I was doing security, <laughs> you know, all, all just trying to keep the dream alive. And yep. luckily some things worked out for me and it's just what you got to do. Again, there's no right path. There's, People do it different ways, and uh, it's tough, but uh, you just you got to keep grinding like what you're doing. Yep, absolutely. All right, man, we'll let you go. Thanks again for doing this, and uh, have a great broadcast tonight, all right? All right, Brady, thanks for having me. Let me know when I can hop on again.